Um, I'm addicted to glamour. Luxury. Exuberance. Glamour. What design style comes to mind? Art Deco, of course. Art Deco was a style of design that emerged in Paris, France in the early 1920s that sought to idealize good design that was influenced by the industrial age that came before it. The style permeated interiors, print design, architecture, and so much more of American culture that has influenced artists to this day and original works are sought after by collectors. Common motifs include glass, marble, and other lasting materials that emphasize the opulence of the time right before the Great Depression. Extravaganza temporarily died during that time, but still lives in vintage shops all around the country. Sharing the love of this style of design is Jonathan Alexander, owner of Disco Art Deco Vintage, specializing in art deco furniture and interior decoration pieces. On this episode, we talk about common motifs found in art deco, our favorite works and designers, selling vintage online, and so much more. Enjoy this episode, darlings and gal pals! Hi, darlings and gal pals. It's your pal, Sparkle Sid. And here today to talk to me about Art Deco is Jonathan Alexander. Welcome to the show, Jonathan. How are you doing? Hello. I'm great. How are you? I'm doing very well. Just enjoy a little cup of maple coffee and and ready for a little bit of chit-chat about design. Mm-hmm. Now, Jonathan, I got you on to uh, talk to me about Art Deco. Can you describe to me a little bit about your fascination of Art Deco and how you got interested in it? So, I've always been interested in design from a young age, and I've always found that when I latch onto something, I get a little obsessed. For the past couple of years, Art Deco has really caught my attention. I kind of became fascinated with nostalgia and how those cycles produce themselves. And I just started reading about in the 70s, Art Deco kind of blossomed again, and that just kind of fascinated me. So um, I kind of started this cycle of research, and I don't know. <laughs> From the research that you did, what was the biggest thing that stood out to you about why you liked it? I think there's this element of glamour to it that I'm attracted to. There's just this level of chic that I think really uh, peaked during that period. And we've been kind of looking back on it ever since. It was kind of the the height of glamour right before the Depression. And after that, you know, the world changed mm-hmm. forever. So it's just this moment in time that could never be reproduced. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, I'm I'm really fascinated by the idea and also the aesthetic. Are you able to describe a little bit, like using three characteristics of piece of things that are in Art Deco pieces that you can easily identify as Art Deco pieces? So generally, it's pretty stylized. Um, it's kind of interesting because there are different. There's no one set definition of Art Deco. You know, it started out kind of referencing like South American uh, motifs, you know, Asian influence, and then ended up becoming more streamlined. So there's kind of a range within Art Deco that you see, uh, but generally it's it's pretty clean lines. It's geometric. It's definitely a characteristic. There was a lot of interest in different 
materials. You'll see like cool veneer work or um, you know glass can be incorporated in an interesting way. So there's some materiality out of it. And a third influence is probably the technology at the time was being incorporated. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, radio was huge, you had movies coming out. Um, so there's definitely that technological influence as well. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, you had mentioned glass. Yeah, glass was becoming just a new thing in design at the time. And I think that's why a lot of um, glassware was popularized and it was utilized a lot. Mm-hmm. I don't believe it's the same. I don't believe it's the same era, but um, I think it's Francis Ching who did the 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 um, did a coffee table that has a really interesting base. But the glass is like super. It's like the first time that the glass was cut in like a really like ovally kind of rounded shape rather mm-hmm. than just like square or rectangle. Sure. You know, and this is the first time that that people could actually play with the edges of glass rather than just you know using light to go through the glass. And right. Art Deco is kind of the first thing to first kind of style to utilize glass in a more functional way. One of the things that interests me about Art Deco is it uses a lot of, um, it kind of comes from a period where there's a lot of embellishment. You know, there's lots of, um, like if you go to French design, you see lots of like claw feet on tables and chairs, you know, with or like with like a ball and sometimes with a ball inside and they'd be very like, you know, they look like they're like, you know, arms and legs from a a crow or something. Mm And then you got to like, there was like a moment in time where people were like, no, we let's do, <laughs> let's go back to the rudimentary of our lives. Let's go back to shapes. Yeah. <laughs> and we got, and then they went, took it a little bit of a step further. And we're, we're like, we're going to use 45 degree angles. We're going to use, we're going to embellish those angles rather than, right. you know, than representing humans or animals, yeah. you know? So that was an interesting change of design where it became more about the, um, the modular aesthetic rather than the like, you know, just let's just go for opulence, but it still was refined. It was like, it was still opulence, but refined opulence. Do you, do you? Yeah. A lot of people think of Art Deco as actually growing out of like Art Nouveau, which was, Mm. you know, a style around the turn of the 20th century that was very stylized um, with lots of plant forms and, you know, that got kind of decadent in a way. But Art Deco took some of those themes and abstracted them and added those angles and made it more machine age. But it still was a stylized kind of movement. You know, a lot of modernism that came out of Europe during that time was more socially focused. You had like the Bauhaus and, um, you know, all that good stuff. But that was more so focused on like housing the masses and how can design work for the average person, whereas Art Deco was really more of a luxury kind of movement in some ways. It filtered down a lot, especially after the Depression. Uh, it became more mass market, but initially in the 20s, it was more so something only the wealthy could afford. And at the same time, it was seen a lot in commercial spaces, like the movie Palaces. Mm-hmm. As time went on, it became more of a mainstream thing, but initially it was more high style. Mm-hmm. Yeah, one of the takeaways that I have, I think, I think Art Deco that that uh, that era was the first era where machines could make materials very intricately or very um, specific to a specific type of design need, and I think Art Deco kind of almost capitalized on that. I think that was one of the first times that interior design became a thing where you went to a shop or you or you went to a design store mm-hmm. and and bought things by these designers, yeah. you know. This is kind of jumping forward a little bit to the 60s, but like when Herman Miller, you know, employed a lot of um, 
fashionable designers because they knew that if they had those designers on board with them, they could sell the designs and make a cut rather than the designer getting all the money. Mm -hmm. So I think that's really interesting. It kind of became like the beginnings of that kind of uh, style of design and also the way we think of design, especially with consumerism and um, culture and how it affects our spending habits and stuff mm -hmm. like that. Um, but I really, I really love the aesthetic of it. Um, it's very clean. It's very machinery-like, as you mentioned, and it and it definitely shows how how our love of machines at the time was kind of like you know at the forefront of our <laughs> attention because we were like machines are scary. Machines are scary, but they can do yeah. this. Which I kind of want to I kind of dive into one of my, uh, my my three favorites. I actually um, really love the set design from the movie Metropolis <laughs> from 1927, <laughs> uh, directed by Fritz Lang. I especially love the choreography emphasizes the set at the very beginning. There's it's like a huge stage with all these stairs, and there's all these people working in like a sweatshop kind of place, and they're all kind of like moving like this, you know. And it's like uh, it's like it's it's very like if you think of those like like blossom shapes that you see um, on embellishments of like say like a like a headboard or something like that where it's you know those like rectangles that are kind of folding out like mm -hmm. that it's kind of like they're moving at that 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 angle right. you know that angle that they're they're moving to it's very simple it's simplified but it's it's emphasizing the set it's also legitimizing the set in a creative sense in a storytelling sense because because that set is huge it is all it's also very clinical you know it's very clean and neat but it's also very kind of sinister because it's also um, a place where people are working really hard for possibly little amount of money mm -hmm. and, you know and this is kind of the beginning of that time but i really love that um shout out to the set designers especially who like designed the T tower of babel in the the big scenes with the, yeah. the scenery uh otto hunter uh eric kettlehunt carl volbrecht um, they're legendary set designers. They did all that work and it's a legendary movie. And also there's the robot in there with, um, that I, that is, is very futuristic and very, um, borderline art mm -hmm. deco. So I shout out to those designers. I just, I just really love that. <laughs> That's a great movie too, by the way. It's very long. Um, at least the original restaurant, the, they restored it to close mm. to the original and it's really good. Also, <laughs> a little fun fact, uh, Georgia Maroder, who produced a lot of Donna Summer's music, she, uh, or no, he did rather. He he produced all the music to a, like a revival of the movie, which he colorized it. You know, he basically put color filters over the black and white. And, <laughs> and uh, yeah, and he set it to a bunch of pop music. So he did like uh, the beginning of that movie, like there's a song called Machines and it's very like, ding, 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 like it's very like, it emphasized that oh, cool. set again. Um, but uh, the downside is it's the shorter version that first came out theatrically like it's not the extended one but it's only like an hour and 20 minutes but it has music from him pat benatar freddie mercury what? oh lots of people it's yeah it's it's wow. legendary yeah definitely check it out i didn't even know about that yeah it's really interesting so yeah definitely check that out um fritz lang's metropolis presented by georgia maroder i don't know or did he produce that version i don't know I think he did. He did a lot of things with differently with the uh, the way he like stylized it. He he basically brought the storytelling into the eighties. Like he instead of doing like interstitial uh, dialogue, he did like he put it like as subtitles <laughs> instead. Like that was a new thing in the eighties. So he's like, we're gonna bring this into the modern well, uh, age. But it was really cool. It's really interesting. So yeah, fun little fun fact there. Did you want to touch on any of your favorites that are kind of similar? Um, you know, kind of in that vein, in that Art Deco revival vein. Definitely look up Barbara Streisand's Malibu's Guest House because it is a trip. 
iconic. Yeah. She spent years decorating this guest house, and it is <laughs> such a set piece. You're just talking about the guest house, not no, her actual house, house with the elves. I mean, around. there's a, okay. there's a <laughs> whole other story going on with her main house, but her guest house, she wants to be this perfect set piece, and it is exquisite. She even designed a necklace to go with it. It's like down to the very last detail. Oh, those must be some amazing gift boxes. I know. Right? <laughs> and then right after it was published um, in 93, she auctioned off everything and just started with a whole new style. So she kind of cycled through it. But I would definitely recommend looking that up if you're researching kind of the era. She went all out, as she does. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my gosh. Like, Barbara, like, it's funny that you mentioned it because I legit, like, was thinking about that and I was like, yeah, that's totally a bar oh, yeah. thing, you know? It's like, like I think knowing how crazy she is and how, well, also she's kind of coming from a place of privilege, but she also worked for it because she's super fucking talented, but she's also super fucking crazy. <laughs> so a part of me says, you know, you know what? Make, you know, make her guest house art that go, you know, let her go cray cray, you know? She did the damn thing. <laughs> she did it, exactly. <laughs> Speaking of, you had mentioned like movie theaters, how they were incorporating a lot of, Art Deco and their architecture in the interiors and exteriors. Uh, one of one of my other favorites is, um, of architecture is the Pan Pacific Building in in mm. Los Angeles. It's not around anymore. It, it, it caught on fire, but it, at its heyday, it was a movie theater and also I think also did live theater mm. shows as well. It's legendary. It has the um, iconic architecture that you see. You know, it has the flat like roof line, and then it has like the like the vertical pillars that are like when you look in profile are like rounded a little bit. They kind of go like, mm -hmm. <laughs> I'll post some pictures in the show notes for everybody since we're also talking about it and it's easier to see it. And you're like, oh, okay. But lots of that, that lots of that green, the lettering is very iconic. There was a specific font that was used commonly in Art Deco. Do you happen to know the name of that by any chance? Mm, I don't, but I have a book on it. <laughs> um, yeah, it all looked like kind of mm -hmm. that, kind of like that a little bit. Not really, but yeah, I'll post you some of that as well. I actually have a poster that's kind of yeah, you know when you see it, and it's it was also it was also very common to Art Deco design. But anyways, um, they use that on the on the signage, and near like the '60s and '70s, it kind of got a little run down. It had closed down, so of course the inside mm -hmm. was kind of decrepit. Um, homeless people were living there, and then in 1979, they kicked out the homeless people so they could film a little movie. That didn't do too well, but it's loved in my heart is the movie Xanadu. Oh. Yeah, it's actually the same movie that, uh, or the same place that Sonny looks at to oh and meets God. Kira for the first time, where they quote the icon, where they quote the iconic lines, you, <laughs> me. That's it. That's all I got. Oh, my God. That's all I got. Yeah, I wanted to talk about Xanadu, actually. That's, that's very um, yeah. funny you brought that up. Yeah, let's go there because you had mentioned there was a mm -hmm. revival in the 70s. And at the end of the 70s, Xanadu yeah. was being filmed. What did you want to touch on about that? Just just the fact that at that time in the 70s, there was this interest in preserving Art Deco. And there's this funny cycle with preservation when something turns 50 years old. You know, mm -hmm. all of a sudden people start getting interested in it again, you know. At that point, it's kind of a dangerous age for building. Style isn't really seen as historic necessarily. It's just kind of like old and outdated, especially back then. So a lot of things were starting to get torn down. But at the same time, people were, you know, having this revived interest in it. So 
Xanadu is kind of like an interesting like microcosm of that movement. It's like this rundown building and then up and fabulous again. And mm-hmm. but you saw that like Miami Beach during that period was starting to have a lot of demolitions and um, mm-hmm. you know people were interested in preserving that. Radio City Music Hall was restored during that time. So there was this appreciation happening. Mm-hmm for the style and that was coming out like the pop culture you know um xanadu mommy dearest is my favorite mm. kind of reference to that time some very iconic shots yeah. of, oh my god that house i want to live in so much. for those who haven't seen the movie what 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 kind of moments stand out to you <sighs> the opening scene is my favorite <laughs> her <laughs> she has a spot that her bathroom that i'm obsessed with Everything's like close up of her turning on the water. It's this fabulous, like, uh, shower. Her dressing room is like a frosted glass and dramatic lighting. It's just candy and over the top. And mm-hmm. I love it. <laughs> Have you found um, any designers to this day that kind of do like a revival of the revival that, but also add their own influences? Like, when I think of Xanadu, I think of, you know, they sure they tried to help revive Art Deco, but they also tried to bring it into the 80s. Um, by, mm-hmm. by incorporating, you know, especially with the culture of, you know, swing music mm-hmm. merged with rock and roll music, you know, and putting electric like orchestra on the cover of an album that looks Art Deco as well, you know, mm-hmm. and, you know, yeah. it's very, you know, has those motifs as well, those rounded motifs, but then they also have like that flowering rectangle. I'm showing people for, no, for audio recording. I am showing a visual item right now. <laughs> but um, yeah, it's very uh, Art Deco-y inside. We go back to my one of my episodes, uh, the one that I posted on September 17th. I actually go dive into Xanadu a lot deeper. I actually interviewed the person who um, designed, Derek Bishop, who designed the, the cover album to the uh, Broadway cast recording, who used uh, the cover... Art Deco cover art as influence to create the yeah. and it looks almost exact, almost a little bit identical, but with an homage to the new cast, which I really love. That's amazing. It's great. Speaking of fun things we love, what, is there another one favorite that you want to want to talk about? You know, living in Chicago, we have some really amazing examples of the style around us. I think that's another thing that kind of piqued my interest. I moved here from Atlanta a couple years ago. And um, there's some art deco there, but it's not on the level that you find here. But one of my interesting buildings or favorite buildings here is the Carbide and Carbon Building. Mm-hmm. If you're familiar with it, the story is it was designed to look like a champagne bottle, which is fabulous in and of itself. Um, <laughs> yeah. But it's all this dark granite and terracotta, and it's got this gorgeous gilded tower on top, and it's just. It looks like it's from the movies, you know, mm-hmm. kind of cycling back to the influence of the movies. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. It was kind of this cycle of these outrageous set designs, which inspired real life architecture, which kind of went back into the movies. And it was like everything was kind of eating on itself. But anyway, mm-hmm. that's one of my favorite buildings in Chicago. Definitely look it up if you're not familiar. Yeah, it's currently a hotel building. Um, I don't know the name of it now, but. Previous to that one, it used to be the Hard Rock Hotel, um, good time yeah. ago. And then I think it was an office building when it was first open. I don't remember the entire history, but it's really fascinating. It's like a very green building. You see it right along Michigan Avenue when you're about to start the south end of the Magnificent Mile. So if you're visiting Chicago, mm-hmm. 
start on the, you know, start like just, just south of, of the Chicago river and then go north and you'll see it. It's on the left. It's so, yeah. it's so interesting. Cause if you go look around that, that block of buildings, they're very kind of bland. They're very, you know, boxy office buildings. And then you get to that one, it's very grandiose and it sticks out. It doesn't stick out like flat. It sticks out like high, like with one, that one mm -hmm. high tension. It's, it's, uh, it's representative of like a champagne bottle and it's like, Oh yeah. And it's great. It, it, it screams sure. opulent. I love it. Um, yeah. Another another building in Chicago, if you want to keep it local, is the Board of Trade. No, yeah, Board of Trade building. Yeah, the Board of Trade mm -hmm. building. Yeah, I was like, I was trying to think of the name, and um, yeah, it's great because you can. Um, it's one of those buildings where a highway goes through it, so it's kind of an interesting little like thing that they built around the highway, and then they also incorporated lots of businesses as well, rather than just you know financial businesses. Like for example, in the fifties and sixties, Chicago was a huge uh, producer of television and um, and one of the shows that got its start out of that building there was a studio I think it on the top floor it was a small studio but it was a studio nonetheless and it was very uh, it was equipped with all the modern equipment because it was a new building at the time and television was new and so was the building so they're like we're gonna get new equipment and produce some amazing television lots of dance shows were out of there there's a really cute show uh, by this couple called the Mole Queens here in Chicago who did a show called Kitty of Go-Go oh, cool. they had moved from Jub WGN TV here in Chicago to a huge studio to the squat little studio, but because they were able to produce it for more money, but also for like a little, like, but with like half the production they were going to. So that was really interesting. More money, less people. What? So they must have, it was really good quality. And then another show that got its starts here, Little Roots in Chicago, in that building, in that same studio, is the show Soul Train, Groovy Soul Train. I know that. So, I know that. yeah. And, um, they they got their start in the studio and it was very it was a very small production uh don cornelius knew somebody i think who who owned the studio or something so he was able to rent it out for next to nothing and produce the show for a year until it moved to la wow. and became the huge show that it is huh. it's it's a bummer they don't have any footage of that actual version of the show because the the photos look very obviously they make it very look very low budget but i really I, it'd be interesting to see because there's a really interesting documentary on soul train that i think aired on vh1 if, um like five or so years ago and they had mentioned that there was like that when they were in the studio that um in chicago there was a lot of the a lot of the dancers were very um they were very uh like like closed-minded they were very like in their own zone and then when you went to like la everyone's more free and going Ooh, you know they're like they're like grinding and john cornelius is like whoa you know they do it differently in california yeah there's definitely like a <laughs> there's a definitely a difference of culture in la versus chicago i see a lot more um uh especially with the architect deco going back to that or a lot of the architecture goes back to uh, a lot of the functionality of of building i think i think the reason why i and when you go to la like those buildings are huge and opulent and bigger you know you don't need that much space but the fact that they have that space and want to show it off is kind of an interesting change of attitude and mentality of design and culture and um things that things that are, uh, support a society like a building you know um mm -hmm. the um i think that's probably why i really think it's interesting with chicago uh, especially after the the Great Chicago Fire, we had to rebuild the city from the ground up, essentially, and we had to have f fully functioning buildings and buildings that were were would outstand the last you know last of time, and also fires. You know, they had to have restrictions regarding um, how long a fire can burn in a building to make it you know qualified to stand, essentially.
So a lot of those buildings are more like boxy and square. And I think that's why Art Deco became a huge influence on the city because it was more designed to last. And here we are in those, th both of those buildings that we just mentioned are still standing to this day. So I think that's a really yeah. testament of Art Deco. Yeah, I mean, they, they built with solid materials and um, yeah, they're gonna outlive us. But going back to that, you know, the, the skyscraper um, was also kind of a new form at that time. And that kind of influenced a lot of the forms you see with like the verticality. Um, they wanted to emphasize, you know, reaching for the sky. And also kind of a weird quirk of, of that was the zoning laws that were put in place. Uh, especially New York was the first to do it, but they made rules where you had to step back as you went up so you could get sunlight and air to the street. So that was a big influence on why the buildings kind of look they, the way they do, you know, talking about like the champagne bottle. Who knows if that's really true, if they did that or not, but, you know, it might have been kind of a function of the zoning as, as much as an aesthetic decision. Um, but yeah, it's, there, it's a timeless style, you know, it goes in and out of periods of interest. Like I think right now we're kind of obsessed with it. Part of that, you know, is that it's a hundred years old now, which is when something is considered mm -hmm. an antique. Yeah. Um, so I think maybe that's part of why we're attracted to it. Um, uh, is there any, has there been any fat, uh, influence of Art Deco on fashion at the time? Um, during the 20s and 30s? Yeah. I don't think I really saw too many, like, because it's very boxy. You know, you, I don't know if it was just a thing that was like, it was in fashion. I think everything was very grandiose and flowy. So I don't think a lot of things were. I mean, I think you definitely saw the same kind of tearing down mm -hmm. um, that was happening in architecture and design generally. Um, mm -hmm. A lot of the jewelry from that time is very iconic mm -hmm. as far as directly um, referencing uh, mm -hmm. Some of those motifs. You know, Berthe was a, a big uh, name mm -hmm. uh, with the jewelry, and then he did some really cool uh, fashion illustrations. Actually, um, mm -hmm. he had a contract with Harper's Bazaar, and um, his prints are one of my favorites. They're always kind of outrageous, and he also did set design for um, theater, so that kind of influenced a lot of his illustration. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, I would say there was definitely some influence. Did you did you have any more on your um, list of favorites? Um, I just want to mention like my favorite interior designer of the time, uh, Jean Michel Franck. Um, definitely worth researching, mm -hmm. but I would say almost every uh, big designer right now would say he's a huge influence on a lot of what we're doing right now as far as Paired down shapes, but really interesting materials. He was working with like shark skin and goat skin and exotic woods and, you know, opulent. Like he would incorporate all these crazy materials into his work, but um, really just an amazing designer and had a very tragic ending, though. Jumped out of a window in Manhattan, 1941. Mm. Um, so, Kind of got cut short, but um, his work is a huge influence and mm -hmm. definitely worth looking into. Yeah. 
was it uh was it a suicide or was it just an accident do you know oh no he jumped yeah he... oh i wonder what i wonder if that's i i've i i've always wondered about creatives that get mm. big too fast i mean on obviously obviously we want to become the biggest thing since sliced bread as creatives but is it detrimental to our mental well-being yeah. you know um because when we get when we get pushed into a system that's all about money and pushing us yeah. to produce, produce, produce. And I think especially during that time when, when producing was huge, they're having humans do, you know, intricate, delicate work that they were used to doing that way. So of course they're like taking their time and like, there's, you know, executives that are like, do it now, do it now, get it done now. You know? And it's like, it's a lot of that. And I, I wonder if that's, I wonder if that's why a lot of creatives have some issues with, their self-image and that's something i've wanted to explore in a more future sense yeah yeah i mean look at alexander mcqueen you know even contemporary mm. examples of that it's so much pressure yeah. to produce mm -hmm. and i don't know if that's necessarily why jean-michel franc did what he did but mm. you know there's that cliche the tortured artist it's either you're a starving artist or a, you know or a you know being sti stifled to you know to create anything you want you know it's yeah. just it's really interesting but i've always wanted to dive into that a little more but i i it's interesting that you brought that up um but yeah the, you said he did a lot of uh what, what's his most uh famous work do you know um he did a lot i mean he worked primarily in paris so there's there's a bunch of rooms from that time that are just standouts there was a penthouse though that he did in san francisco that i'm kind of obsessed with it was probably the finest example in this country of the style. Um, and unfortunately, mm. it got kind of disassembled um, over the years. So it no longer exists, but pieces mm. from it come up at auction from time to time. You can buy the breakfast room. It's for sale right now. And it's these panels that he, well, he didn't actually create. He collaborated with other artists who actually produced, you know, what went into the room. But the panels are of, goldfish and then there's these bubbles that are actually made out of um, uh, eggshells that were lacquered over mm -hmm. so it's an incredible mm -hmm. artistry i'm so glad it survived um if i had mm -hmm. an extra couple hundred grand i'd buy it for myself but yeah <laughs> one day yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's the interesting thing about uh pieces these days it's more expensive because there are less of them made right. Um, nowadays, we know with Ikea and stuff like that, things are, you know, made in the millions, but then maybe at the most in the thousands, and even that was not a lot, you know, so yeah. it, it came down to the, the fact that a lot of those things are now collectible and more um, expensive. And now, so I think the reason why there's a lot of Art Deco influence and also revival is because a lot of those pieces do represent that opulence and people want to have that. It's October, and you know what that means? Giveaway time! Hiya, darlings and gal pals. I am offering an absolutely zantastic prize package for an exclusive giveaway to my Instagram. This is the perfect surprise for fans of all backgrounds. It is a loaded prize package full of ABBA doodads and Xana goodies for even the most remedial fan of Les Deux. Included in this prize package is the 40th anniversary of ABBA Gold, featuring more ABBA Gold and a CD of B-sides. ABBA The Definitive Collection DVD, featuring all of ABBA's music videos. ABBA The Movie on DVD. 
Xanadu Magical Musical Edition with the soundtrack CD. Xanadu the Broadway cast album, autographed by artist and guest host Derek Bishop. The ABBA Gold Book from the 33 and a Third series, also autographed by our author and guest Elizabeth Vincentelli. Don't those sound exciting? Here's how you win. Follow at RealSparkleSid on Instagram. Tag five people in the comments of the post that you see and comment on your favorite ABBA song. Next, share the same post as a story, tagging at RealSparkleSid so I can make sure to count the entry. But there's a catch. I will only draw until I hit 500 followers. So tell your friends and tag as many friends for a quicker chance to win. Bon chance, mes amis. And now back to the show. Um, speaking of buying things, did you want to talk about what you're doing with your Disco Art Deco? I'd love to. Um, so I started out in this industry kind of working my way up to an interior designer. And past year or so, I've focused more so on buying and selling vintage because that's really kind of my sweet spot. You know, sourcing is uh, what I love to do. So I was like, you know what? I'm going to take that part of the job and make it my full-time job. So, um, you know, got started with it kind of late last year and then when it really started blossoming, you know, Miss Corona showed up and kind of threw everything into a loop. But, um, you know, I'm doing an online shop it's called Discord Deco. Um, I'm doing it through the website Cherish right now, which is a really big resource for people to buy vintage. And I've kind of tied it in with my Instagram account, which has been really fun you know, how you and I met. Mm -hmm. Can you describe your uh, Instagram feed and what you want people to view it as, as far as like the vibe? So the vibe is um, sexy. You know, I kind of tied it in with 70s erotica. I was interested in a lot of the erotic movies of the time, the set design would incorporate like these art deco pieces. I just thought it was an interesting tie-in. And I started to imagine, you know, the design of the time during the disco era was incorporating a lot of these art deco pieces and kind of imagining how the adult industry kind of weaved its way in with these like fabulous interiors, you know. Mm -hmm go do a night out at Studio 54 and then where do you end up and whose apartment and what did it look like and you know what were you sitting on and yeah and the side note about the Studio 54 that was in an old the Ed Sol uh, the original Ed Sullivan Theater and that was an art deco design building too so yeah. how yeah how yeah. how ironic right anyways <laughs> it all ties into itself for sure right? <laughs> but yeah I'm primarily focused on pieces from the 70s and 80s that's kind of my sweet spot you know, I don't think you necessarily have to do a purist interior uh, with these pieces. My apartment kind of is just because I'm so obsessed, but I find that you can mm -hmm. incorporate these pieces into a kind of wide range of aesthetics and uh, they're really versatile. So yeah, I'm, I'm super excited about expanding it and Chicago is an amazing place to source. So many people back in the area were buying such cool things and you know, now they're trying to get rid of them. So 
it's fun just sharing kind of the story with everyone and getting people excited about it. Mm-hmm. That, that is exciting. Um, where do you usually get your pieces? Do you, do you shop mostly online? Do you uh, go to vintage shops yourself? Uh, how do you uh, source those materials? <laughs> Um, mostly, um, estate sales, um, have been really, really good for it. Um, I'm also getting more so into auctions. Uh, sometimes, you know, vintage stores, you can find some things, um, you can kind of turn around, but it's really the best to kind of get the middleman and buy from the source. But yeah, it's been really fun, especially as a newcomer to the city, you know, it's a good way to get out and kind of see different parts of town that I might not necessarily go to especially like the North Shore and um, getting to a couple around up there. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. So, Yeah, that's awesome. When you're going to shop for things or when you're going to like look for things, are you looking for something in particular? Uh, or or um, or another way to look at it is, is what makes a good uh, vintage reseller? You know, what is a vintage reseller looking for in trying to acquire a piece that they think will uh, be beneficial for someone else to have in their home or their studio? You know, I'm always on the eye or on the lookout for, you know, items that are chic. I, I always say I don't buy anything that I wouldn't have in my own house. That's kind of my standard for if I'm going to buy something because, you know, it comes down to kind of my vision and my philosophy of design. And, you know, I try to buy quality. It doesn't have to be iconic, but it's well-made then, you know, it's a, it's a good investment. Um, so, and there's also the aspect of, you know, uh, being environmentally conscious, you know, as opposed to having to have everything be new and shipped straight from Amazon. There's a whole world of stuff out there that already exists and has a more interesting story and is probably more attractive, you know, that might be worth, mm-hmm. it might be a little more of a hunt, but, once you get it, you cherish it that much more. Yeah. And that's that's the great thing about a vintage reseller is you'll find something different. You can go to Cherish and see as much as, you know, as many different people who are doing a similar thing, but everyone's doing something different because they're mm-hmm. uh, using their own eye, what they like. And I think that's one of the beautiful things yeah. about what you're doing is you're taking vintage, you're taking Art Deco, but you're taking the revival influences as well. You're taking everything that that Art Deco has graced its presence on and taken it and made it new. So I really commend you for that. Um, speaking of Cherish, what is the website for people who can find you to uh, to look at pieces that you're selling right now? So if you go to cherish.com slash disco art deco, um, that'll pull me up. And then also if you look me up on Instagram, disco underscore art underscore deco, um, you can find the link in my bio. So that's primarily where I'm at. Um, I am working on a website of my own, which I hope to have up soon. Um, and that's kind of the next step is, you know, working on marketing and, um, you know, getting out there as much as you can in, in the environment we're in. But, mm-hmm. you know. For those who are interested, um, how are you uh, navigating the uh, whole quarantine aspect as far as um, things being handled, stuff like that? Is there anything that you're doing uh, different now that um, because of quarantine? I mean, everything I get gets cleaned thoroughly. Every interaction I have with somebody buying something, it's mask on, you know. Um, but primarily, it's, I've been selling a lot to people uh, in California and 
but I hope to step it up locally and uh, become more of a local resource for people. Mm-hmm. How much does shipping cost on a pretty large piece? Like, how, what's the biggest thing you've sold, and how much has the shipping cost to you? I'm just curious. Um, you know, going through Cherish, they kind of handle all of that, um, which is the nice part of working mm-hmm. through Cherish. They do take a cut of your sale, which is the downside, but the upside is they kind of handle the shipping stuff. So um, I honestly couldn't tell you. <laughs> mm-hmm. I just sold a big peacock chair that's going to San Francisco, and I'm sure that probably costs an arm and a leg to ship, but they're getting a deal on it, so I get the yeah. for it. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, I bet. I've always, I've always wondered, you know, how how you did that. And I guess that, I guess it's the great thing about sites like that, but also the downside is they do take a cut. But of course, mm-hmm. it's enough to to make it super easy to sell. So, so yeah. it's very, it's very, it's very exciting in these times where we have the internet to do things, even from the comfort of our own homes, and yeah, and, and create a business a business around it, which I think is a phenomenal thing. Yeah, I mean, design in general is. It's all going online. So I've, I've thought about having a physical store at one point or at, at some point, And, you know, I still have that fantasy, you know, being on Clark Street with my cute little shop. But realistically, like not having the overhead is, you know, yeah, the way to go at this time. So mm-hmm. have you ever thought about going to any of those furniture shops and be like, hey, do you want a collection in your store? Have you ever thought about doing that, something like that? I, you know, I've definitely thought about that, and there are some shops, you know, I've seen, like, booths for rent or uh, that kind of thing, but, you know, honestly, just with the environment we're in, I'm just mm-hmm. more so focused on the online at this point, but mm-hmm. yeah. who knows what the future will bring. Yeah. Well, Jonathan, thank you so much for your time. You are a national treasure to the design community to the world, everything at all. <laughs> um, so are you. Uh, so once again, where can people find you on Instagram and where they can they buy your pieces just to uh, to refresh people's minds? Yes, so Instagram, Disco Art Deco, and then cherish.com slash Disco Art Deco. Perfect. Well, thank you so much for your time, Jonathan, and I hope you have a great rest of your day. Thank you so much. Super Funkin' Serious with Sparkle Sid is a production of Vicarious Media, LLC. Starring and produced by yours truly, John Dyson. Edited and co-produced by Gabriel Schubert. For more information about today's guest or the media we mentioned in today's episode, please see the show notes in your local podcasting app or visit vicariousmedia.com podcast. This is Sparkle Sid signing off for another episode of Super Funkin' Serious. We hope to see you next Thursday for another fantastic episode of Cheeky Chat. Also, don't forget to be your funking best, and I'll see you next time. Goodbye, beautiful darlings and gal pals. Mwah!